Good evening, everyone. Welcome to a, another Wednesday evening with the Clear Mountain Monastery community. Uh, this evening, Ajahn Nisabo and I are very happy to have Ayasanta Chitta with us. Um, so rather than try to read off your biography, which people can read for themselves in the, the show notes, Aya, please, if you would introduce yourself and uh, just, yeah, say, say where you're coming from and give an introduction. <laughs> Okay, thank you. So thank you so much, you know, to the two of you for inviting me. And my name is Ayasanta Chita and I'm originally from Austria. And I'm a Buddhist nun since over 30 years. And uh, some of you know Ayananda Bodhi, who is currently, you know, in uh, Port Townsend. And I have uh, been a colleague with Ayananda Bodhi since 92 and we came together to America. 2009 and I live here now since then and I've also been trained in the Archon Char lineage for about uh, 16 years before coming here to America and uh, I'm living now at uh, the Aloka Earth Room which is a small uh, contemporary temple space it's about 20 uh, miles north of San Francisco in San Rafael and I have also, you know, trained in the Vajrayana tradition in the Nyingmapa school with uh, the grandson of Dilokhyantse Rinpoche, if anybody knows him. He was quite well known uh, last century. And, um, and I'm originally trained as a cultural anthropologist and, uh, you know, was very deeply moved by the way I saw um, indigenous people live and you know thinking that cultural anthropology would help me to be more uh, connected to the earth but then you know found out in my studies that is not really what's uh, offered there and on some travels in Asia, I met my first teacher, Archon Buddha Dasa, who was a forest master in the south of Thailand. And his presence was somehow, you know, similar in some way. And he had a path to offer, you know, which was promising uh, me, you know, to be more um, connected, you know, to myself and through that more connected to nature and to everything else and and then i just you know thought i'm gonna dip into this for a few years and then i come back and continue my life but i've never made it back out and now i am you know nun since uh, 93 so it's yeah 30 years and i'm still learning it's a lifelong process of learning and the monastic form can be extremely supportive for some people, you know, to take this learning all the way. So thank you. Ajahn Kovila disappeared. No, he's back. <laughs> okay. Sorry about that. Ajahn, um, please. Yeah, thank you, Aya. Um, an interesting thread, um, which kind of runs through your, your biography, uh, is that of art. I mean, it yeah. comes up with, uh, if anyone knows anything about uh, Ajahn Buddha Dasa, uh, the artwork at his Swan Mok, his main monastery in Thailand, and at the Buddha Dasa archive in Bangkok, uh, an amazing 
art center. Um, as well, I visited you at uh, the Aloka Earth Room, and people can see a little bit just behind you. But um, yeah, curious if you could talk about that, uh, that thread of your monastic life, your life in general, how art has played a role in things. Um, you know, I have been, uh, when I was studying cultural anthropology, I was specialized on uh, dance, ritual, and theater in the anthropology and also worked in um, avant-garde dance theater in Vienna for uh, about like seven, eight years. I was, you know, with working with the costumes and also being on the stage and traveling quite a lot in Europe and um, really starting to really deeply understand, you know, the power of art to, to uh, transmit ideas to transmit concepts uh, in a more direct way, you know, which doesn't need to go through the dualistic thinking mind. And because our theater, you know, we weren't using language, we weren't using words, but movement and we were using a lot of um, painting and, and costume and sound. All of those elements, you know, they have a lot of power to to, um, to communicate. And so I wanted to create a space which communicates what is important, how I see what is important these days, you know, and I think what is really important is for people, or for us homo sapiens, you know, to really understand that our bodies are not separate from the planet, but they are actually one and the same process. So I created this earth room here, you know, which is somehow a symbolic expression of that. What I'd like people to uh, work with in their practice when they come here. I, uh, um, in terms of your creating this space that utilizes these forms of art to help people on this internal journey that's also woven into the external issue of, of the climate and earth in general and Gaia. How have you seen, how have you managed to, where does that fit for you in terms of the Buddhist teachings? Like where are the points of contact between your training as a, as a nun and practitioner over many decades and this realm of art and work in the space of ecology and human relationship with earth where, where's the intersection mm, i think man there are several intersections but the most important one i think is you know that the kind of uh, issues that which are going on, on on the planet you know the limitations of the biosphere which are which are showing us you know that we need to live differently that we can't keep on, you know, just going and going and going with uh, trying to, you know, extract and take, you know, from nature without any sense of uh, respect or interest even, you know, what what is really sensible and what is like really very self-destructive. So that's one way, you know, how I think uh, that it intersects. On the other hand, you know, having been trained in the forest tradition for so many years, 
of course, nature is always considered to be a powerful teacher, especially going in the forest and seeing how the forest is a display of impermanence and also how, you know, the concept of emptiness or, or not self, you know, is, is saying it all for me, you know, saying that there's no separate entities at all existing out there. Everything depends on everything else. And, and now, you know, our very survival as a species depends on taking an interest in that, you know, not only as a liberating insight, but also as a way to conduct our lives, you know, and to take an interest in the intelligence of the modern human world, you know, and to have some sense of humility because the intelligences, you know, we were like uh, prioritizing, they are obviously not really sufficient, you know, to uh, take care of uh, ourselves and of the planet. You know, science and technology have a lot to offer, but they have also great limitations. Thank you, Aya. And in terms of bringing together those other sorts of intelligence, it feels like that is part of the, the project of the Earth Room and of utilizing art. How would you characterize those other sorts of intelligence? Is it, you know, the union intelligence? Is it, is it the feminine intelligence? What's, what's missing from most of us? And how, how do you see this project as kind of addressing that, that lack? Mm -hmm. I think, you know, emotional intelligence it has a lot to do with that you know to be able to stay be steady enough to be able to um you know to sense into our own bodies and knowing you know that our own bodies are made from the same elements as as the planet itself and i think that this planet is a uh, has a great self-regulating intelligence, you know, which is operating since billions of years without anybody in particular directing all of this, you know, and I, and I think that's what we call the Dharma, you know, the Dharma is nature and nature is Dharma. But I think at this day and age, you know, as we are starting to realize that if we don't change our ways, we're going to go extinct really. And with that, you know, many other species as well. I think we have a responsibility to try what we can to take, get, you know, open ourselves to the guidance of this much vaster self-regulating intelligence, which I think we have the capacity to tap into, but not with the thinking mind, but through the bodies of which we've got, you know, through sensing into our bodies, which are basically bits of planet walking around, you know, if you really investigate, if you do the uh, meditation on the elements, you can have a direct experience of that truth, I think. But then to, to really uh, live accordingly, you know, and listen into the process like this on an ongoing basis, it starts to uh, open up. This is my experience, you know, I'm doing these practices now for some time, you know, and the rapport, you could say, is getting more stable, you know, because you can't just do that meditation one or two times and then, oh, yeah, I can see, and then you keep on moving, you know, and do what you did before. 
but it is a it's a it's a relationship which needs to be built i think and i also feel you know in this time of uh, increasing crisis you know i also feel that that in, you know the dharma wants to be known you know it's not that we have to hunt the dharma down or something you know the dharma really wants to be known and if we make an effort you know to clear away that those filters which are in between you know those emotional and cognitive filters we will be increasingly more able to see and i think you know this biointelligence i'm speaking about i think i have experienced you know that if my mind is clear i can uh, tune into a different different plant intelligences and presences like that you know for example here in the courtyard of the local restroom i have a two plants you know which i consider my plant allies you know we where i built a relationship over time you know by just starting to you know put some respect and and actually remember you know for example this fern out there this kind of fern is around since 250 million years you know even longer than the dinosaurs so you know because the average uh, lifespan of a mammalian species on this planet is about 2.5 2.7 million years you know and we are just 200,000 years old our species so we are very very young you know we are considered the youngest siblings of all the species on this planet and our maturity is accordingly you know about like the maturity of a seven-year-old kid you know playing with um, machine guns and and you know all of those very dangerous technology we have developed but we haven't developed our ethical and our emotional intelligence it's actually not safe you know we are not very safe i think we homo sapiens and we call ourselves homo sapiens which is an additional uh funny kind of a hubris in a way isn't it yeah. i on this this theme of having a plant allies and you know learning learning rapport rapport with the body rapport with awareness rapport with uh with nature uh i was listening to a talk you gave recently and you introduced a, a concept that i'd never heard before that of refugium yeah uh would you would you explain what that is and, and give it a bit of context because yes yeah you know i have actually learned that from uh from uh kate davis whom you know yes so kate davis lives in uh, whitby island and she has been working in uh, environmental policy for about 30 years she has a phd in biology we've just been teaching a retreat together at cloud mountain the retreat was called with the world on fire practice the eightfold path and she brought up that uh, concept you know which is called refugium uh, in single and refugia in uh, plural and it comes from biology and a good example would be a mount saint helens where, you know which erupted in the 80s and a brought a lot of lava and ashes, you know, which covered a lot of the area around the mountain. And scientists were thinking it would take a few hundred years for life to come back. 
But what was really happening is that after about 20 years, you know, life came back and it didn't come back from outside because they were thinking, you know, the wind will blow seeds and birds will fly over the lava fields and drop seeds. But it was very different. There were these little pockets, you know, where, for example, there would be a stone or a little bush or something, and then the lava would flow and flow around it. And there was a little bit of uh, open ground, you know, behind the stone or the bush. And then out of that, life would come back, you know. So life would regenerate in those small pockets inside of the chaos, you know, and it wouldn't be brought in from outside. And that principle, you know, many of the current um, yeah, people who think about, you know, how this new narrative could come into the mainstream, they speak about uh, pockets of sanity, you know, in the middle of it all, those pockets of sanity, which become like webs, you know, over time. And through this web, you know, this new narrative, this new self-understanding would uh, enter into the mainstream, you know, and then responses would be much more sustainable responses and not just like trying to fix what's happening from the same narrative, you know, which is not possible. We need to drop deeper, you know, we need to deeper understand who we are and then other resources will become available because we can suddenly see what was hidden, you know, before. And, you know, that's often in the Vajrayana, they call it, you know, self-secret. It's secret not because we are hiding it or anybody doesn't want to share, but it's secret because you can't see it, you know, because you're, the way you are looking is what you see. And I think it's that, you know, which I find so, where the, you know, where the new narrative and where the Dharma meet, because it's if you do not remove those filters, those assumptions, you can't see, you know, and for that you need a practice, you need a spiritual practice, because this is the only way how you can remove those filters. Often, you know, maybe also some psychological support, you know, because it will bring up and activate unresolved trauma pockets as well. But it needs to be all held within a spiritual practice, you know, because everything else isn't really deep enough, you know. Thank you, Aya. For those of us who feel like we're kind of perched on one of those lock, uh, rocks in the middle of the, the lava flow, um, I feel like we have plenty of community members also who are trying to hold that spiritual container you speak about in their daily lives and just um, having a lot of difficulty aligning their, their lives with this purpose that you're speaking to and the urgency and power of this path which they want to walk. Um, and I wondered if you, what advice you'd give to someone who's, you know, wants to have the spiritual container, but also has a job, um, kids, a family, maybe a partner that doesn't completely support their practice 100%. Um, what would you, what advice would you give for, for laity who are, you know, trying to perch on one of those stones in the middle of 
uh, an eruption and having a bit of trouble balancing. Yeah. You know, I really, I think my first advice would be slow down, you know. I really, one of the people I'm really influenced by is, uh, he's a Nigerian uh, psychologist and Buddhist teacher, uh, not Buddhist teacher, spiritual teacher, sorry, not Buddhist. He is, uh, has Yoruba roots, you know, being from Nigeria. And his great uh, kind of slogan is, times are urgent, let us slow down. I think slowing down is the most important thing because it's the urgency which created, you know, the urgency which were driving us towards some kind of an idea which we hadn't really investigated. It was an assumption, you know, and then it turned out that it it's turning against us, you know, that which we were thinking would save us. So we, before we are running somewhere, let us really investigate if it's really worth it, you know, is that really something which can work or not, you know? And for that, I think we need to know who we are more fully and that can only ever be scratched, you know, on the surface if we slow down. I mean, that's the most important thing. And then you're really being with the discomfort of, you know, the pressure which we put on ourselves to think, you know, that if we run faster, it's gonna be all, better and quicker and all of that. And it doesn't work. It never has worked, you know, other than for maybe some kinds of sport, you know, where you have to be quick, fast in order to win. But for this thing, you know, which we are working on, running doesn't really cut it, you know, it's it's too superficial. So that would be the first thing, you know, from to, to just sit down and, uh, connect you know with one's real aspiration you know that calling we all we all feel otherwise we wouldn't come to a meeting like this you know and really take that in and and yeah and find find the same people you know to spend time with and i think that's why people come here to these meetings you know because we all have some kind of uh, commitment to sanity, you know, either, you know, wanting to uh, train to have more sanity or at least, you know, being close to those who are doing that work, you know, because it can really be a way, you know, how to co-regulate, you know, if we're getting really very spun out. And yeah, and, and to have a path, you know, the Buddhist, the Eightfold Path, I think is a very pragmatic, very powerful path. So I think, you know, that one is very easy, acceptable for people of this day and age because it's so clear and it's quite easy to understand, you know, to get a get a kind of an idea of the power of it. But I think it's not the only path. I mean, there are other paths as well. But I think this one, the meditation teachings and the, um, you know, the foundations of the core Buddhist teaching are not difficult to understand and very practical. And 
yeah i think it's a it's really it's like a rope you know made out of eight strands which is very strong and we need something like this in, in these times you know in order to make some kind of a sense and have a, and then you know if we can make some sense energy becomes available to embody that you know yeah. and then if we do it feedback you know is becoming uh is, is is emerging i feel you know there is a it's a call and response in my experience this path you know yeah. and in the beginning we might need more reassurance and then we need you know need others to to be able to ask and that's you know that's a, a good idea i think to really um find people we we can trust you know where we can have some reassurance because you know the 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 trauma or the unresolved issues you know which will pop up on this path you know as we drop deeper they can sometimes give us the feeling you know it's all not working it's all wrong but you know because we tend to mistake discomfort with being wrong you know this is also one thing which is really important discomfort is just discomfort it doesn't mean it's wrong you know and i think for that we all need support you know because it's just so deeply entrenched in us that discomfort is wrong because it's kind of a you know an evolutionary uh effect you know which has helped us to to survive you know this this very vulnerable bodies of ours so you know the vedana the uncomfortable unpleasant feeling tone is a kind of a hey you know be careful but it's not wrong you know i uh, on, on this uh topic of connections and the connections we need um before we started going live uh you mentioned a couple things which uh, I think touch on this is one this concept of lay renunciate like the model of of a lay renunciate and and also you mentioned earthworm practices just um curious if you could say more about both of these mm -hmm. so the lay renunciate you know i have a, a woman living here with me since about the beginning actually of the earthworm and uh you know, she has some responsibilities in the world. She is working and also would like to continue to work and in order to meet her responsibilities. And, you know, and I was wondering, you know, what I could, you know, we, uh, we had a very good rapport. This whole earth room would never have, uh, you know, come up that easily without the support she gave me and and also she really benefited from living with me in this space so i was thinking you know what could we what way could we find you know for her as because she's not really uh, want to be a nun and 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 then i was like thinking on uh, you know finding a way that a lay person, a lay woman, you know, can live with the precepts and live in a monastic environment, but at the same time, you know, also do like a certain amount of uh, of work outside of the monastery, of the monastery, and keeping 
also putting in some amount of work inside of the monastery and so we are we have uh, you know uh, she's keeping the uh, she's taking the eight precepts on on the coming sunday and for example she will not keep the food precept because of her health but instead of that precept she will keep the a precept you know which comes actually more from the burmese tradition which is the meta precept you know taking the training to meet myself and all sentient beings with loving kindness and benevolence so that's the eight precept in her case and she has made a commitment you know to do that for one year and we're gonna have a weekly meeting and go through a certain part you know of the anagarika training but she is not on track you know to become a nun so we're doing that together and then also maybe doing some uh, study in regards to eco uh, the, the ecological crisis together and the work she's doing in the world she works as a coach for people you know who want to simplify their lives and who want to you know step out of this consuming wheel and she is a phd in psychology so she she knows you know how to meet people and to at the same time you know help them with uh, reorganizing their lives but also looking at the underlying issues in their hearts and in their minds not just you know cleaning up their mess but uh, trying to see you know how that is actually a response to some deep-seated fears and and investigating those things you know and using also using the dharma for that so it's a more holistic approach you know which is going to the root of the issue and so that's one thing and uh, the second question was the earthworm practice i think Archan Kovilo, right mm -hmm. yep. so Archan, you know Archan cha is actually on record for having taught that uh, principle of earthworm practice as a you know as a i think the earthworm was for Archan cha it was kind of a symbol for perseverance you know when we are in the thick of it you know and you can't really see any results yet you know but you're in it and you're really in it and then you know having the humility and having the perseverance to to just keep going with whatever is in front of your nose you know and then the earthworm takes it in digests it and it comes out the other end and as we know you know those earthworms are extremely important to aerate the soil and you know soil which has a lot of earthworms is very fertile and I think, you know, if we can see our practice like that, that sometimes it is just really hard and we are just completely in it. And to have that patience and to use that image, you know, as an Im image of, uh, you know, humility and humility and humus, you know, humus is another word for, for soil. You know, they have a lot in common, you know, we, ne we need to really come back, back to the ground and being willing, you know, to to touch the earth like the Buddha has been touching the earth, you know, in the night of his enlightenment. And because he, you know, he asked the 
earth to confirm that he had finished his work, he has done his work. And I think we haven't really done it yet, you know. That's why we are struggling so much. That's why we are so immature, you know, and a real, really waking up also needs to go hand in hand with growing up. And growing up is everything about taking responsibility for one's own mess, you know. And this is what we need to do, I think. And I find it so poignant, you know, that my, the Buddha statue I'm sitting here in the earth room, it has, you know, the earth touching mudra of the Buddha, you know, and, and this was, you know, and there is in Thailand, I might, you might have seen in Achanisabo that there's quite sometimes at monasteries, you know, like uh, the Buddha sitting under the Bodhi tree and then the earth goddess Prame Torani, you know, sitting there with her long hair, you know, and the water comes out of the hair and washes away all of the Maras. And, you know, so I find it very powerful that that image is so ancient, you know, but we never paid much attention to it. We just thought, oh, kind of the pretty woman sitting there, you know, washing her hair, but not really knowing how powerful it is actually now starting to dawn on us, you know, what it actually means, you know. It means that, you know, a full realization needs to always go hand in hand with maturity and with taking responsibility for for life you know and at this point in time the climate crisis is all over you know and if we don't attend to it there will be you know no place for future generations to practice and we always speak about the preciousness of the human birth you know so for me there's no question you know i can't just turn away from this. I think it's it's the way how we can really drop deeper into who we are, you know. And we are at this uh, threshold now, you know, as a species, I think, where we either take that learning step or, or it's not going to look very sustainable, you know. Thank you, Aya. Um, Ajahn Jayasaro, when we asked what his advice for us uh, as founding founders of Clear Mountain was, he said mm -hmm. we should think of ourselves as articulate earthworms. So he's on board with this analogy. <laughs> and I think we're going to uh, open things up for some of the audience to ask questions of you as well. So Ajahn Kovilo, if you would. Yeah, we've got a small global village tuning in, people from Bali and Brisbane and somebody's on a plane even somehow watching, but um, on a plane. Yeah, didn't know that was possible. But um, first question is: Would you say a bit more about how practice increased your connection with yourself? Mm -hmm. I think you know the practice. You know, over the years, it's a, a lot of years now. You know, I feel to to go deeper and deeper into this body, you know, and the deeper we go, I think the more of like unresolved, you know, unresolved uh, pockets, you know, which are, which are locked into the body. 
I think become, you know, become available, you know, for investigation. You know, I think, for example, you know, all trauma, which is usually stored in the body. And when, uh, you know, when we are ready, it becomes available and there is a, a, a need, you know, to sense that rather than to think about it. And I think it is a lot, you know, what we learn in the first establishment of mindfulness of, you know, in the Satipatthana, which is, you know, to really be, or in, also in the second one, you know, the, in feeling tones, to really be with experiencing the body as it is in a non-verbal way, I think that's not an easy practice, you know, which doesn't come easy to us, but it's something which is very necessary, you know, for for people like us, you know, who have been trained to uh, be in their minds a lot, you know. The whole schooling system, everything is built around that and this is something, you know, to come back into the body. It's not just something you can do once or twice. It's it's a it's a lifelong practice. Thank you, Aya. It's a lot of people just resonating uh, very much with what you said. Um, someone's actually asking for specifics about um, Heather's information, I believe. Who is the Simplicity Coach, and does she have a simple website for people to contact her? We can. Uh, she does have a website, yeah. Okay, we can put that in the show notes. Um, yes. You know, I is there a text for me to write, or um, no, not really, huh? I send it to you afterwards if you perfect. like. Okay. Yep. Perfect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the next question is: I read that by a magnitude of order, so by a lot, that the greatest positive impact we can have on Earth is not having children. But no one discusses this. Um, since Buddhism is not centered on having children like other religions are, can Buddhist teachers lead this conversation? Have you ever thought about this? I, I have thought about it. I don't agree with that, you know. I think we, we should have, like, you know, people shouldn't have like 10 children or something. But I think, you know, children which are born today, they are born with a different capacity than I was born 65 years ago, you know because they are more in sync with what's needed now. So we need those children, you know. We need those children being much more capable, actually, to respond. And I feel more, you know, my work is to provide the platform for those children, you know. And, of course, we should not have, you know, we should be a modest amount of children not too many children, yeah. That is also important, you know, to have less children, but to not have any children, that won't work either. And, you know, there are some children which are born today, they are amazing. I mean, you know, we were very, very different. When I was very, very different. They have so much natural uh, understanding of some of the issues, but not all children, but you know, children who have the good fortune to be maybe born to very conscious par parents also. So, no, I definitely would not say, would not lead that conversation. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, 
here's another one maybe. Uh, so Venerables, may we talk more about the Buddha's relationship with the earth goddess, uh, which you've mentioned elsewhere, Aya, as, as Gaia, named yeah. after as Gaia, uh -huh. and what that symbolizes for Buddhist practitioners. There's a, a second part about, uh, is it true that the rice field pattern on your robes uh, honors the Gaia? No. You know, the rice field pattern on my robes is just like uh, a pattern that Buddha came up with, you know, when the, I think Venomananda was asking him, you know, and he, Buddha just happened to be overlooking some rice fields, I think, at that, and he was saying, you should do it like this, you know, so it has nothing to do with the earth goddess, but I, it, we could make a little addition to the story and say, uh, in a way, you know, now we could take it that way. We could say, yeah, it could remind us of the plenty of what the earth is offering, you know. It's a lovely idea. I never thought of it, but good idea. And the earth goddess, yeah, I mean, it's of course only a symbol, you know, what is meant is it's just the planet, you know, itself, which was giving birth to the Buddha's body, you know, through his mother. Because in a way, you know, when a woman gives birth, you could say she splits her body into two bodies, you know. But because her body is part of the planet, she's not doing it. It's just happening. And, and this, you know, this speaking about God, gods and goddesses and all of that, in that sense, you know, it is a, it's a symbolic uh, way of, you know, because this is how our minds work, you know, as uh, human beings. We need to make something which is like us, you know, in order to get a handle on it and, and speak about it. Look at the Vajrayana and many other forms of religion, you know, have many, many different deities, goddesses and gods. And they are like a skillful means, you know, a concept to help us to speak about something. But in the end of the day, it is, you know, planet Earth herself itself let's say it's not herself either you know the planet uh secreting human beings you could say you know they are just coming out and then they go back again when they die and and i think that the buddha in these many many countless lifetimes you know he has been coming and going and coming and going and serving in so many ways he had just like he was finished, you know, he had finished his work and I haven't finished mine. <laughs> so I just try now to use the gifts, you know, I have been given and, and the kind of interest I have, use that as, as, as my guidance, you know, how I can contribute, how I can take responsibility for being here and at the same time, while I'm doing all of this and while I'm being here, using this uh, Buddhist teaching as a way, you know, to liberate my mind increasingly from greed, hatred and delusion. And at the same time, you know, there's an urgency, but I know if I don't slow down, I'm just going to repeat the same mistakes. So it's all it's a it's a huge paradox, the practice. But all, you know, all real spiritual practices are paradoxical. They are paradoxical in the sense that, you know, 
we need to hurry slowly. Mm. You know, Achan Paul, who was the abbot at Wat Suanmok, Achan Buddha Dasa's monastery, he always said, hurry slowly. You know, that's really, says it all in a very simple nutshell, you know. We need to work really hard, but we need to also relax totally at the same time. So it's just like well, uh, there is no uh, real way, you know, how we can rely on anyone else than ourselves, you know, in the end of the day, by really listening deeply into yourself, what is the right response? You can, you know, you can collect pointers from different teachers, books, practices, lineages, you know, religions and so on. But then, you know, you have to really experiment for yourself and see what works for you and what works at this time might not work you know in a few years down the line it's it's a it's a very organic process you know i thank you for speaking to an issue which we don't usually talk to but i think which is on people's hearts a lot with the climate and relationship with earth and for creating a space for that dialogue and practice to actually happen. It's um, really a pleasure to have you on. And um, for those who are interested in learning more about Aya Santachitta's work, contributing or tapping in another ways, we'll have the link to the Aloka Earth Room in the show notes. And hopefully we get a visit uh, down the road. Um, but in the meantime, we will get the chance for those who are interested to speak a bit longer with Aya on Zoom during our usual Wednesday evening uh, Zoom following the live stream, which is now. So uh, for those who see the link in the chat, feel free to click it and we'll jump on to Zoom for about 45 minutes and get a chance to speak further and in a bit more of an intimate setting. If you can't see the link, then feel free to go to ClearMountainMonastery.org, scroll down to the Wednesday evening live stream event listing and find the Zoom link there. Aya, uh, thank you so much for joining us and for all you're doing and just your guidance in general. Thank you. Thank you to Arjun Kovila and, and you, Arjun Isabel. And, you know, do I need to press on that link to myself or will you take me there? We will uh, leave the link. Don't sign off yet, but uh, we'll just put the link in the private chat for you and you can click on it from there. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Aya. Have a good night. Thank you.